0: Hey, if you're new or visiting this morning, can we just say welcome from our heart and we hope that uh, whether you're here just for this Sunday or many more Sundays that you sense the Spirit of the Lord and you sense a welcome. We're in the middle of, um, if you are visiting, we are in the, we're ramping up right now is probably the best way to put it, for a... Uh, banquet that we hold uh, that we help step-by-step ministries. And what step-by-step ministries are is when gals decide to keep their babies in crisis pregnancies, usually through CareNet, uh, they're then handed off to Step-by-Step. And Step-by-Step presides counselors with life counseling and skill training and uh, spiritual counseling and that kind of stuff to help figure out how to navigate those years with little children. Often these moms are single moms. And so every Christmas uh, they hold... Two banquets, one on the north end and one on the south end. And We're the north end banquet, and what we do is we uh, come together uh, as a church family, and we provide uh, grocery bags and a gift card uh, for a store, and then also toys for the kids. And we put on a whole banquet that evening where the clients of Step by Step come with their counselors, and then they come here, and uh, many of them don't have the opportunity for gifts or presents or. Um, pictures or anything like that and so we did it last year we ran 700 people through the building something like 153 families and many of us just had a life-changing experience helping to serve in that so uh, we haven't ramped up as hard this year because many of us know it's coming but we want to uh, cue you now that now it's time to ramp up for that and put feet actually to action so I'm going to ask my wife to come up and she's going to tell you how uh, some of this looks alright give her a hand
1: Woo-hoo, cute. so last week you heard from several people about their experience um, volunteering for um, to serve as evening host and um, this week I wanted to talk about the food and toy drive so um, Like last year, we are asking to um, see if you guys wouldn't mind financially supporting this by bringing food and toys. So starting October 31st, we are going to begin this toy and food drive, and it's going to go through December 3rd. And um, I have examples out there in the lobby this year for the toys. Next week in your bulletin, you will have a list of the specific toys and food that we are looking for. The reason this year I have a few examples out in the lobby is because after last year's um, event, we um, were looking at the toys that um, the parents were um, going for and what toys did not go. And so this year I was thinking about streamlining the toys a little bit more. And what I mean by that is I am looking to um, see if you guys, when you are out looking for toys, if you could spend between 15 and $25 this year on toys. So we can avoid any of that extreme toy. Um, and the reason I'm doing that is because the toys that these children are receiving are most likely the only toy they're going to get this year. And so by watching the parents last year, I thought it would be nice this year if we could have um, toys that, when the first family arrives, the last family that arrives gets the same type of toy. So... Um, I'm hoping that that will help this year streamline the toys. So like I said, in the bulletin next week, you will see a list of the toys and the food that we are looking for. And then the last thing is if you are receiving coupons and you are not using them, we are wondering if you could donate these to the church. Debbie Insel is um, collecting coupons because she likes to go out and buy food in bulk. And this year, if she could use coupons, then that way she could probably save on um, and be able to spend more money on the food. Thank you.
0: She's cute. I married up. As she scoots out the door. Bye, honey. She so loves doing that. Can you tell? That's so great. All right. A couple things. One, we've been uh, talking about um, Hashtag Hope, and we gave you this website, and we also mentioned last week you can go to Tagboard.com. And on Tagboard, um, all the pictures and stuff show up together. So uh, what we've got is we've got a collection. We're starting to collect stories on hope. We're starting to collect quotes on hope. We're uh, putting scriptures on hope up there. And so if you want to go through and kind of have a running dialogue with this series and interact with it, we want to encourage you uh, towards that. Uh, Have some fun. Some of you know how to do that better than others, all right? But uh, the the message this morning is on the hope that Jesus is still reaching the world. That's a long title, all right? But I think it speaks to something that all of us wrestle with uh, on several different levels in our hearts in terms of... Uh, is the gospel still effective? Is it still working? Is Jesus still reaching people? Um, or has it, has it kind of uh, worn out? In Colossians one six, it says, In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. This is the church at Colossae. And Paul is writing and saying, Hey, you've seen yourself planted as a church you saw what God did among you, and you've also heard what God's doing all throughout Asia. And that this gospel that you heard is spreading all over the place to a whole bunch of other people also. And he said, it's bearing fruit in a lot of different ways. And so he was using what they knew as well as what they had heard of to encourage them in that hope to stay with the hope of the gospel. Uh, When we're talking about that, a lot of people get confused. What is the gospel? Here's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus came as one of us, full, fully God, fully man, and died on the cross for our sins, and then rose again from the dead on the third day. Yes, we actually believe that. That's gospel core solid. It is through the power of this resurrection that he has proclaimed both Christ, which is Messiah, the coming one, the promised one, the Savior of the world, and Lord. That means you bow the knee, you put all the eggs in his basket, right? As the Scripture said, the Word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the Scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And one of the things that our culture has lost is, and they don't have an answer for it anymore, is how do you um, pay for your sins? You know, do we medicate it? Do we therapeutic? Do we. Uh, all kinds of answers are provided in our culture. Uh, the best one is there is no sin, right? You just happen to do what you happen to do and if it got in some other way, too bad. You won. It's good. But those of us who live life know that doesn't work that way, right? How do you pay when you've done something wrong? Not just something wrong, something nasty. Something evil. Something that violates your soul and conscience. That you can no longer look people in the eye, you can no longer hold your head up or you have to veil your heart. How do you get the sticky black tar stain of sin off your soul? You ever wrestled with that? How do you find peace, and or reconciliation when you are violently at war with God, both emotionally and volitionally? That means with your will it's intentional. How do you find hope when you're on the outside? Alone, alienated, abandoned, a stranger to the promises found in God and having no hope and without God in the world. Scripture's answer is you come to the Gospel. You come to Jesus Christ and you ask Him to forgive your sins and to save you. Let's pray. Father, as we come into this message this morning, there might be someone here this morning through your divine coordination of how you do things so well, they're on a divine appointment and collision course with You. They're, they're here, but they not have not yet confessed You, Lord. In their heart, they've not surrendered, and with their mouth, they've not confessed. And Lord, I just want to give You a minute right here at the beginning of the message. Our belief is Your Spirit is talking to people. Our belief is that You tap these issues in our heart. And we just want to pause for a minute and ask you to work this morning. What I said made sense Then how you'd respond in a way would be, Lord Jesus, what Pastor Steve was talking about clicked. It made sense with me. I have stood on the outside. I have felt dirty. I have not closed the gap, I have stayed stubborn. I have stayed resentful. And I have not reconciled with you. Therefore, I can't pay for my sins, and so I'm carrying this tremendous load that I can't carry. It's wearing me out. This morning, I'd like to give you that load of sin. I'd like to confess that it is by my own deeds that I'm lost that I've strayed far from you, and that without your help I can't draw close. Lord Jesus, would you this morning save me? Would you reach out and forgive my sin through the power of the death on the cross where you paid for him and by the power of your resurrection? Lord, would you save me? With your eyes closed, anybody here this morning? Just slip a hand up. Let me see. Thank you. Anybody else? Father, as we've talked about that, give us hope this morning. Hope that you are still vibrantly, not just vibrantly alive, as we sing, what a great worship Said, I hope you were pleased. But vibrantly alive in our world actively right now. Engaged fully. And we seek you for that in your name. Amen. All right. Let's uh, talk about the growth of the early church. We're talking about uh, Colossae here. um, And I want to show you, uh, this is probably something you already know, but it's just a good visual. Here is the beginning. You can see this is the Middle East. You can see the boot there, Italy, and that kind of stuff. you can see the little green area. That is the church up to 200 A.D. All right, so if you look, There you can see those little green splotches. They don't show out that well, but you can see it's mostly on the east and north side of what we would call the Mediterranean Sea. That's 200 A.D. If you go to 300 A.D., this was the Diocletian persecution era. He was one of the Roman emperors. But in spite of persecution and in spite of uh, the things that had gone on uh, to snuff Christianity out, this is the spread of the church in just 100 years. Right? You can see a vast, uh, much larger area. If you uh, go just beyond that, 324 to 379, which is, of course, the era of Constantine, and uh, Christianity was declared the uh, a legal religion in the empire within Rome, you can suddenly see the expansion uh, there and the... That it's not only in the Mediterranean, but north and in Africa and in Italy and those parts. And if you take it just a bit farther, Christianity in 600 A.D. looked like this. Covered most of the known Mediterranean world as we know it now. So in just 600 years, it expanded to that entire area. I also thought it would be fun this morning just to, uh, when we're talking about, there's the persistent notion that uh, Christianity is only in the U.S. and Christianity is dying in the U.S. and so really Christianity is a dying religion and that it's fading off the map and uh, the sooner it gets out of its misery, the better it will be. Uh, Not so. All right? If you look, here's the top ten Christian countries... Oh, here, I, sorry, I didn't click. Okay. So, um, oh, here we go. All right, there we go. Uh, in 600 A.D., there were 40 million Christians, all right? So if we go to that era, that last map we showed you, there were 40 million Christians roughly at that time. If you go and move it all the way up to 1910, I decided not to go through the whole medieval and not just go up to 1910. Uh, Some of you might remember that, all right? At 1910, I don't, there were, I saw that smirk on your face. In 1910, there were 600 million Christians in the world at that time. If you go just to 2010, which is just four years ago, there were 2.18 billion Christians on the planet. Every day, 10,000 people plus come to Christ. Every day, okay, around the world. 10,000 people come to Christ every day. If you calculate that up, that's 3,365,000 people come to Christ every year. Now, here's a startling statistic, if you look up in this, this. Along with that, 105,000 are martyred for their faith in Christ every year. 100,000 people die for their... They will not... They are challenged, they will not renounce Christ, and they die for their faith. We did a story about that last week, uh, talking in Syria and what's happening right now. Uh, Mike Talley, our friend from E3, John and I were talking this morning. He just got back from uh, South America where uh, it's getting quite intense in some countries. And they had... uh, just come off a small trip. There were about 15 of them on the trip and they had 3,541 500, 3, gospel presentations to people. 2,733 people prayed to receive Christ. It's a pretty high percentage. Right. Uh, 1,766 were trained then to share the gospel and those 2,700 were put in small groups. All right. So you're talking about in just one short mission trip, this is the kind of stuff that's happening around the globe. Uh, when we talk about uh, where the gospel is exploding, the top ten here's the top ten Christian countries. First is China. Isn't that amazing? When the the Cultural Revolution took over and Mao uh, took over the country and decided to exterminate Christianity, it's estimated about a million Christians. After everything came out and uh, they began to be aware of not just the three-step church, but also then the underground church. The estimates right now are somewhere in the hundred and twenty five million, million, got to say that right, 125 million uh, as high as 165 million believers in China right now today and expanding. Second growth in the world is India. We think of India as Hindu or Buddhist and that kind of stuff. But the, uh, one of the fastest explosions of the gospel is uh, in India and uh, uh, growing there. The United States is third. Indonesia, a fully Muslim country, fully Muslim government. Right now the gospel is exploding in Indonesia. Hassan would be happy to hear that. Next, Brazil, right? And then Pakistan, you, would you think of the gospel exploding in Pakistan? You think of a lot of things exploding in Pakistan. The gospel's not one of them. Right? When you think of it as American. But that's because our press doesn't cover any of this stuff that's real. They cover all the other stuff. You never hear this. But in Pakistan, one of the largest Christian populations in the world is in Pakistan. Nigeria. Nigeria. Um, by the way, many of the battles that you hear about and you hear about the gals, the daughters stolen and all that kind of a lot of that is uh, Christian persecution, and it's not painted that way um, within the papers. And Nigeria has a huge uh, population. Eighth is Bangladesh. If you say Bangladesh, that means nation of frogs. Did you know that? I was educated on this by Dale Agner, my friend who's a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. Bangladesh is the right pronunciation. They are not a nation of frogs. But uh, huge Christian population. Then Russia, right? And then Japan. Uh, in the world, uh, the population of the world right now is 6.9 billion people. 2.18 are Christians. So what that means is, as we sit here this morning, that Christianity is not only the largest religion in the world, 33%. And by the way, when we take that number, that's everything from soup to nuts. Right? And we're some of the nuts. Okay? So, I mean, that's all inclusive in terms of that. But it is also the fastest growing religion in the whole world. When was the last time you heard that reported? Right? It is exploding across the globe. Right now in South America and in Africa, the gospel is taking off like a wildfire. And uh, it, the numbers are staggering. Well, what's happening? And the prayer is that that same type of great awakening would happen here in our country as well. Now, where has the hope gone? Um, largely, as Americans, we uh, aren't the most hopeful people. We're somewhat cynical, and um, we, you don't see a lot of hope when it comes to the gospel. And I want to suggest to you that there's a great thief In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, in other words, there actually is an enemy of God who works very hard on what he does, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And you say, well, Steve, that's talking about nonbelievers. It's not talking about believers. But stop and think for a second. If he works to blind non-believers to the truth of the gospel and thus keep them from the hope of the gospel. Right? Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and just went thunk? Right? Absolutely clunk. I mean, not even a recognition like what you were saying even mattered to anything. Just hit a wall and drop to the floor. Anybody have that experience? Right? You've run into that. You've seen that kind of the blindness in people where you're sharing and they don't get it by the way in that process just keep sharing the average person has to hear the gospel seven times before it becomes cognitive enough that they recognize they have to deal with it does that make sense so you might be number one three or five just keep going right my life would be very evident of that but if he, if he works to blind non-believers to the truth of the gospel and thus keep them from the hope of the gospel, don't you think he will work overtime to try and steal away the hope of believers? Right? Does it make any sense to you that he just leave believers alone? That, ooh, you're believers in Jesus, I won't bug you. No, you're his sworn enemy. He hates you with Malice. Why does he hate you with malice? It's absolutely despicable to him that his once exalted role that he had is going to be replaced with worms like us. He, he doesn't care if he can't have it. He just doesn't want anybody else to have it either. And he is vehement about that. Do you think all those distractions and distracting thoughts you have are just coincidences? That every time you, you try to read, you somehow get interrupted? Isn't that amazing? Every time you pray, you suddenly remember all the things you still have to do? Right? Isn't that amazing? That every time you try to read, you're suddenly super sleepy? Anybody have that one? Oh, wow. Or the phone rings? Man, wow, dude. And all those whispers, whispers, some of the greatest lies in the history of the world are whispers. They are not shouts, they are not declarations, they are not proclamations. You know what they are? They're whispers. Here's what they sound like see if you recognize this. If you don't see any evidence of people being reached for Christ, he whispers. Then, how can you know even you've been reached? How do you know you just didn't imagine it? You know, you've made up a lot of stuff in your life. You sure you didn't just make that up? The gospel doesn't work anymore today. It's old, it's worn out, it's irrelevant, he suggests. Here's probably the biggest one that gets our goats you're losing. You're losing. You're a loser, and you're on a losing team. You ever think you'd be on a winning team? You? Really? Seriously? You've never won in your life. Why would you think you win? now? You're a loser. As a matter of fact, not only are you a loser, but you've lost. I've captured them all. I've captured them with football. I've captured them with porn. I've captured them with entertainment, is his boast. Look at my auditoriums and theaters. They're full. They're packed out every week. Look at your empty seats. Nobody wants what you're selling anymore. And that, that, that book, Dusty Old Relic, it is so, so out of touch with reality. We have so moved past that. And it's rigid, legalistic, black and white, guilt trips and fables. Don't you you get it? The church is lost. It's old, archaic, a rusty hulk, as out of touch with itself as it is with the culture. The pride of Christ, oh, the pride of Christ, yeah. What a joke. It's dirty, stained, wrinkled, bloody. Nobody wants her anymore. Your people are a broken mess and in worse shape than the world. And transformation? Seriously? Not looking too great or different from where I stand, he whispers. And the difference the Holy Spirit is supposed to make, isn't that a little squishy? I mean, really, come on, admit it. There's no real difference. It's just a routine. You've imagined it. Plus, he accuses, where's the promise of his coming through the revelations that he received Paul thought it would be in his lifetime and we are far 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 away from that as a matter of fact we are so far away that the hope of it is so faded nobody's even looking anymore you can quit trying And you are foolish to be doing so yourself. He's not coming through for you now. How can it be even probable that he will come through for you in some fairy tale pie in the sky future? Seriously? Get a wife. Let me ask you this morning have you heard this voice? Have you heard those threats? Have you heard those whispers? What's he trying to steal from us? What's he trying to take? What he's trying to steal is our hope. He's trying to steal our future. He's trying to steal our equity in the kingdom. He is like a swindler in the stock market doing insider trading. He is trying to steal it before you know it's gone. And he's hoping you will look at his distractions rather than to Christ himself. So the question this morning then is, how do we respond to such deadly accusations? Well, the answer is, we don't shift from the hope of the gospel. We don't move from it. Have you uh, heard about the Houston Five? Does that ring a bell? Some of you. Uh, down in Houston, right now, as we are standing here, uh, there was some legislation put through that was um, for gender equality and that those who are transvestites would be able to use whatever bathroom that they wanted to use. And so a law was passed that you could men could walk into women's bathrooms and women could walk into men's bathrooms and and do that. And so this whole ruckus kicked up, and a petition was run uh, to oppose that, which is lawful to do. And uh, they needed, I think, 50,000 signatures. They got like 136,000. My numbers may not be exactly accurate. That's not the point. Um, But they ran the petition. Well, then the city lawyer of Houston threw out most of the petition saying the signatures weren't valid. Well, they knew that they were, and so they brought it back and said that they were valid. And then the mayor came against five pastors in the Houston area and said, I want all your sermons, I want all your transcripts, I want all your texts, I want all your emails, and I want all your phones, phone bills. And we are going to come after you for opposing this legislation. And the five said, Be our guest. They weren't even really part of the thing, but they got targeted in this, and they said, Be our guest. We'll go to jail first. Because you're going after our First Amendment rights. Have you felt that threat in our culture? Is that threat very far removed in the Seattle area? Not really, right? How do we respond? Colossians 1 verses 22 and 23 says this, "He' now reconciled in his body of flesh." He has I'm sorry, I read that wrong he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him." In other words, he has done something for us we could not do for ourselves. Amen. Well that's true. If indeed you continue in a faith stable and steadfast, not, and here's the word, not what? Shifting. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. In other words, don't move, don't shift. Don't try to accommodate. Don't try to appease. Don't try to, no, this is where I stand. Take me out if you want, but this is where I stand. This We stand on the gospel. Two words in there. You stand on the foundation that Jesus is, uh, is Lord and that he is risen from the dead. And the two key words in there are stable and steadfast. Right? Stable means you stay steady. You know what you're saying. You know what you're thinking. And steadfast means you hang in there when it gets tough. One of the biggest problems we have in the church today is what I'd call whippiness. If something goes tough, what do we do? Whang! Right? And we whine and moan and we just are like the Israelites out in the desert. Why did you do this to me? How could God let this happen? Oh get over it, America. Come on. Really? Bad stuff happens to good people, even us. Any you guys have anything unjust or bad happen to you since you come to Christ? We should not be shocked or surprised at that. We have to remain steadfast in the midst of the trials because it's in the midst of the trials that your hope shines out. So let me ask this morning. Okay, I'm going to do a little hook on this with you and I hope it will make sense. Do you have hope in the gospel this morning? That's a little different than what we were talking about. But do you have hope in the gospel this morning? Uh, maybe some of our problem is that we put our hope in wrong boxes, right? I mean, at, like it's already been mentioned, like the Seahawks with Percy Harvin, right? We paid a lot, gotten very little in return. That's supposed to be funny, haha. Uh-huh. Okay, well, you guys are live wires this morning, right? We've put our hope in things in this life, and we've gotten very little back in return, right? We, it hasn't manifested itself, and and so we feel. Rob from it but one of the problems may be that we are lining our hopes up with some other things that aren't necessarily God's hope I think God wants you to be happy but I think he'd prefer you be holy instead right I think God wants you to have a good family but I don't think that means that everything else that you make your children God and run the whole family toward. by the way just the parenting thing your kids moved in with you you didn't move in with them Sorry, I come from the Midwest, all right? We, we got this so background in our culture, we shift everything for our kids. I'm like, you know what? They make wonderful children, they make lousy gods. And trust me, you make them God, they will disappoint you severely. You are meant to be parents. You are the parents, right? That doesn't mean you're mean or an ogre, or, but you are the parents. And sometimes you can't be their friend. Sometimes you have to be parent. There's a line in our house. I go from being... Steve to dad. Okay? And I'm fun and laughing, and then all of a sudden I say, okay, I've just switched, I'm dad now. I'm no longer asking, I'm telling. And I don't care if they don't like it, because my job is to be dad. Right? I don't know where that came from, rabbit trail, sorry. <laughs> 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 ah! Have we lined up our hope with God's hope? Here's the point I was trying to get to. Gosh, where did that come from? Second service won't get that. But here's where I was trying to go with that is this. Sometimes where we get out of whack with the Christian life is because we aren't lining our hopes up with God's hope. We have what we hope for, but we aren't stopping long enough to ask God, what is your hope? And am I lining up with that? Let me see if I can crystallize a picture for you and and if this makes sense. Two questions this morning. Do you have hope in the gospel? But a more important question, I think, this morning that I want to stir up in us is, do you have hope for the gospel? Do you have hope for the gospel, that the gospel is still at work and the gospel is still penetrating, and Jesus is still reaching out to people, or have you given up? And you're just sitting in your neighborhood, you're sitting in your house, thinking nobody's going to come to Christ, nobody's dialoguing with the Holy Spirit, God doesn't reach out to anybody, and if I can just get to heaven, it'll be good, because we're saved. You've missed God's hope. You have missed His heart. You have missed what He has anchored on. How would we be able to uh, put your thumb on it, so you know, right, just get it pinned down, and be able to measure something like that? Well, let me ask it this way. Who do you hope will respond to the gospel in your world? Who do you have hope for will respond to the gospel? Not who have you shared with, not who, but who do you have hope for? Who have you thought about? Who have you brought to the Lord with hope? Do you have someone, or do you have hope, that someone will respond to the gospel before Christmas this year? Let's make it tangible. Do you have hope that someone in your world, in your neighborhood, in your sphere of influence, where God has planted you, will respond to the gospel before Christmas this year? If you don't, it's highly likely you've slid off the foundation of hope. You've slid off the hope of the gospel. And you're hanging on to other things instead of that hope. You're hanging on, I hope my marriage works out, I hope my finances work out. We have lots of hopes in that kind of stuff. But a lot of that is frankly selfish and already covered by Jesus. Jesus said, I'll take care of you, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Why do you worry about clothes and food and all this stuff you put so much energy in? It's already covered. He watches us. Do you have hope in somebody coming to Christ? Because that keeps you centered and focused on the Lord Jesus. It's funny, amazing, and troubling how if we lose hope when we don't see others responding, if the season lasts too long, then we tend to lose hope for ourselves as well. You ever notice that? If you never see the gospel birthed in anybody else, you tend to start thinking it doesn't work for you either. Three weeks ago, we celebrated eight people getting baptized in our Sunday morning service. And man, I tell you, it was a kick. What is so awesome about that is the tremendous amount of hope that generates. Wow, look at, what, look at the stories. We had from 10 to 74 wasn't that a, if you if you're not here i encourage you to go on the website and download it and listen to the stories the stories were fabulous okay unbelievable stories of different people in different ways and how they came and i want to tell you i know the behind the scenes stories of some of those stories absolutely transcendent in how some of those people came to christ if you would have looked at them before you would have never dreamed those people would be in a church let alone saved let alone serving They're already serving. That provides tremendous hope. And here's what I want to say this morning. God is still at work finding people and He's still using us to help Him with His hope. God has great hope for the world. He has great hope that people are going to respond. Yes, even now today in this culture and in this world. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, what we want to pray this morning is that may the hope of your gospel penetrate the Mill Creek area. Not just the Mill Creek area, Lord, but the United States of America. We know that your gospel is bursting out in vibrant color and passion and life in other parts of the world. And we know, Father, that we have said, take a hike. We don't need you. We don't need you in our schools. We don't need you in our institutions. We don't need you in our courts. And we have reaped the whirlwind and we have reaped the devil. We pray for the hope of your gospel in Mill Creek. Lord, every one of my friends sits here and they live somewhere in a specific neighborhood with specific people around them. They work somewhere. They shop somewhere. They go to stores consistently. And somewhere in there, you're having a dialogue with all kinds of people. Who is it? that you have hope for in our world. Put some names on our hearts. Highlight somebody in your spirit. Get us to begin hoping for them. Get us to hope for ourselves. And we ask that you'd not let the devil steal that from us. Help us as a community to be a community full of hope. And we ask this in your name. Amen.